Um, sorry, I'm going to break with tradition, and I'm not going to read just yet. Um, just a few little words and a brief story of introduction, and then we'll read together the, uh, the, the scripture for tonight. Um, but as I did say this morning, we are um, looking at, at Colossians 3.13, the second part of that verse, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you also must forgive. This morning we looked at that bit, as the Lord has forgiven you, and this evening we'll apply it. And that's always the hard bit, isn't it? When we apply it to our lives and we ask ourselves, um, how is that going to affect our lives? How is that going to affect particularly our relationships as we consider so also... Sorry, I've read that wrong every time. So you also must forgive. But I want to start this evening with just a very brief story of a man. I've got a photo. I don't know if you'll be able to see from a distance, but a story of a man. Um, now, this is a man that I never knew. A man I never knew, but a man I heard an awful lot about. He grew up in a very small rural town in New Zealand. He was one of six boisterous children, and he worked with two of his brothers and with a very strong-willed father in the family business. He attended a very small church um, where most of the folk were his extended family. So you can imagine that from time to time there was, shall we say, the odd conflict. But I'm told that throughout them all, he absolutely refused to get embroiled in arguments. And the thing that everybody remarked was that he would never hold a grudge. He just would not hold a grudge. And in any of these challenging situations, especially the family situations, he would always say, life's too short. That was his catchphrase. Whenever there was strife and conflict, life is too short. At the very young age of 30, just very soon after this photo was taken... He was dead. He had been killed in an air traffic accident in New Zealand. For him, life really was too short for bitterness and for conflicts and for being unforgiving. This man is my father, and I trust that his story, the relevance of it will become clear as we just think about forgiving others. Um, this evening. But our reading this evening is coming from, um, actually going to read a parable. And it's the parable of the unforgiving servant, not unsurprisingly, which finds itself in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. We're going to read it together. Then Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who, was owed, who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience on me, and I will pay you everything. 
And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken a place. And his master summons them and he said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus' parables, the stories he told, were designed to have an impact. Often, like this story, it was designed to leave his hearers outraged. I hope we were outraged when we heard that. I mean, the injustice of it. How could that servant act like that? Just, you know, if I could get my hands on that man. The actual current day value of of the sums that are talked about in there, 10,000 talents and 100 denarii, there's various sort of interpretations of what they were. Suffice to say, the best I could determine was that the servant owed the king something like about 600,000 pounds for every pound that he was owed. 600,000 times more he was owed. His total debt, they reckon today, would have been about 6 billion. And as a worker, that would have taken him 5,000 lifetimes to repay. Now, the figures are irrelevant, really. It's the impression and that matters. The point is that we're supposed to take from this two different things. One, firstly, is the enormity of the debt forgiven by the king. It doesn't matter how much actually it was. The thing, the important thing is that this was something that was impossible to re- be repaid. He just could never have done it. Not in a hundred, not in a thousand, five thousand lifetimes. And then the second thing was the paltry amount the contrast between the huge amount that he was owed and the paltry amount, uh, sorry, that he had been forgiven and the paltry amount that he was owed. Because that would have shocked his listeners as much as his injustice. But you know, as, as I was reading this, I was thinking that you know, it's, it's always called, it tends to be called the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. In some ways it could be, maybe it should be called the parable of the forgiving king. Because that would have shocked Jesus' listeners. Really shocked them. The unimaginable kindness and generosity of the king and his mercy that the king would show to the servant that he would forgive him so much, so freely, and more than he could could have repaid in a thousand lifetimes. So... We're to be outraged at, at, at the injustices of the servant. But hopefully, maybe in a small manner as we were this morning, we're to be amazed 
at the forgiveness of God and the greatness and the scope and the extent of that. The total grace in pardoning our debt completely. Because that's something that only God can do. And yet that is something that God absolutely does and will do. But, you know, I said that this was designed to outrageous, and it is. But, you know, as soon as we read it, and as soon as we use the Bible as we're told to do as a mirror, our outrage maybe has to diminish a little bit, and we have to start to identify with him a bit. Because, you know, to, to harbor resentment... To be unforgiving, to hold a grudge, is sadly something that we all know about, don't we? Because we all do it. It's a part of us, our sinful, fallen nature. If we're honest with ourselves, we all harbor grudges of some kind. We've still all battled at times in our lives with bitterness and hurt. Maybe sometimes it's only as deep as our heart, but it's there. We do it. Well, I certainly do. And you know, the tragedy is that sometimes it's the smallest of things. It's the things that are really in some ways so insignificant or maybe even imagined or it's maybe a misunderstanding. But I know that at other times there can be deep, deep hurts that have been caused. And sometimes by those of the family of faith. Sometimes even the things that define our very lives. And of course we struggle with them. But let's not be too hard on the servant. And let's remember that the Bible is a mirror. And when we look in it, we know that in our own hearts, at some time or at some level, we all struggle with this. And so, as we think about forgiving as we have been forgiven, that doesn't come naturally or easily. And I think it's particularly difficult to forgive somebody when there seems to be no acknowledgement on their behalf of having done wrong. No remorse. You know, and again, speaking personally, if, if, if somebody comes and if they beat their chest in remorse and if they show, or if they, they, they give a heartfelt apology and if they seem to show what I would deem to be the appropriate amount of, of remorse, well then maybe, maybe I can see it in my heart to give them a bit of forgiveness. But to put it from my mind completely and forever, that's what God does. I'm only human and I struggle with that. But you know... Saying that, as we looked at this morning, and I hope we understood this morning, that is exactly what the forgiveness of God is not like. There is none of that within God's forgiveness. What I think, you know, let's look at an example. We want to look at an example of someone who, who in a God-like, a godly, Christ-like way forgives. And so, of course, the best example that we can possibly have is Christ himself. But I want us to think about the circumstance of this particular example of Jesus' forgiveness. And to me, it, it has to be just 
the greatest example of forgiveness that I can imagine is there on the cross. There Jesus Christ, the king rejected, has been beaten to within an inch of his life. He's there because of an incredible miscarriage of justice. There is no justice at all. He's innocent, and yet he's being mocked, he's being ridiculed, he's been rejected and abandoned. And now he's nailed naked to a cross. And he looks down on those who are baying for his blood. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I find that utterly astonishing. That is the way that God has forgiven us. That is the example that Jesus Christ gives us of forgiveness. That is our gold standard. That's what we look to. And you know, one of the many things that I admire and find irresistible about Jesus is the way that in everything, in this as in everything, what he says and what he does are exactly the same. And so he's standing here in, in Matthew 18 and he's telling the disciples, you've got to be forgiving of other people. But there on the cross, he does it. And he does it to a level and to an extent that we can never even imagine to approach to. What I want us to think about particularly though this evening as we look at this particular parable and think of it in the context of our verse for the day is the last three words in the parable where Jesus says, we need to forgive from your heart. He says, from, well let's put it to ourselves, from our heart. Because forgiveness... To, bar, to pardon and forgive and to keep on forgiving, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's all about submitting our hearts to God. Surrendering, surrendering all our hurts, surrendering our feelings of injustice, surrendering the pain of being wronged, surrendering it all to Him. It's, it's not then a matter of when he or she comes and asks me to forgive, well, then I will give them forgi for forgiveness. No, it's actually, the whole question about us forgiving one another is actually between us and God. It's between our heart and God's heart as we come to him and we let it go and we give it to him. And we leave it with him, and we leave it with him seven times, and we leave it with him 77 times, or seven times 70. Because there, as Jesus, amongst all the wrongs, and all the hurts, and all the injustice, and the rejection of the cross, what he does is, is he hands it over to God completely. And when he says those words, Father, forgive, it is the cry of a heart that is completely submitted to his Father's heart. That is why and that is how he can say that. He has submitted his heart and his will. Thy will be done. Part of that doing of his will is he says, Father, forgive. 
Now, just going off on a slight side tangent, recent months I've been repeatedly challenged, repeatedly challenged by the absolute truth of the practical wisdom of God. All right, well, what do you mean by that, James? What do you mean by the practical wisdom of God? What I mean is that it's when we come to that point that we realize that if God instructs or commands or exhorts or teaches us to do something or forbids us from doing something, it is always because it is the best thing for us. And when we choose, when we choose, and even in saying this, this sounds an arrogance, isn't it? But I'm sure we recognize it. When we choose to say, yes, God, what you say in your word is right, you know, so it's not, but we do have to come to that place and we acknowledge that his wisdom surpasses what we might be thinking or what our nature might want us to do, we find that he is right every time. And this is just an example of it. We don't want to forgive. It's hard to forgive. But when we can accept that he's right when he tells us to do so, we will find it is the best possible thing. It is just an example of the practical wisdom of God, which he shares with us from his word. To taste forgiveness and to be able to forgive is actually just the most healing, restoring, and liberating thing. We looked at it this morning about how it releases and it refreshes us. And it glorifies God. It absolutely glorifies God. I love the way it's expressed. There's there's a tiny little expression in 2 Chronicles. Andrea and I were reading in Chronicles recently about mornings, and it's just, oh man, there's so much good stuff in Chronicles. But one, there was this little verse here that really struck us as we read. Hezekiah prayed for them. It's 2 Chronicles 30, verses 18 to 20. Hezekiah prayed for the people, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Do you see what's happened there? He's asked for their pardon. God heals them. Because forgiveness, to be forgiven, cancels punishment. It removes guilt. It sets us free. It refreshes our hearts. And when we can embrace it as fully as God gives it, it heals us. It absolutely heals our hearts to be forgiven. But it absolutely heals our hearts as well when he enables and equips us and allows us to forgive. It truly does. Because to, to be able and come to that point where we would forgive a brother or a sister, it is a tremendously healing experience. The act of forgiving enlarges our hearts. It absolutely does. It draws us closer to the Lord when he sees and we are able to submit and forgive. And when we do forgive, when we do bow to his wisdom and the instruction of his word and we do forgive, do you know who the first beneficiary is? It is always us. It is always us when we are able to forgive. Can I say that again? Because it is really important. 
that we get that. When we do actually forgive, when we submit to God and we ask His help and we are able to forgive, the first beneficiary of that act is actually us. It heals us because it sets us free from the destruction of bitterness. I was really struck by the truth of this quote. It was an anonymous quote. I don't know who said it. But just listen to this. Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for somebody else's crime. That's true, and that's powerful, isn't it? But if we turn it around, and sometimes that really helps, turn it around 180 degrees on its head. To forgive sets us free to forgive sets us free from the bondage of bitterness and its destructiveness in our hearts. And that iron-like grip that it can bring upon our hearts. And bitterness is so, so destructive. And God talks about it in His Word. The Bible says about bitterness and how it destroys us. Work at living, sorry, Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. Work at living at peace, in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Corrupting many. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Just later in that same chapter, verses 31 to 32. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. We read that this morning. Get, but that passage where it speaks about being forgiven in Christ, it speaks firstly about our own heart. Get rid of all bitterness because that's what unforgiveness brings. Bitterness, resentment, anger garden in our heart, it just eats away at us. It destroys us. It robs us of joy. It breaks the relationships with other people. More importantly, it comes as a barrier in our communication with God. It colors our judgment. It can color our judgment in all sorts of areas in our lives when we let it take hold of us. The bitterness rising up within us, it's poison. It's pure poison. And you know, the tragedy is that when we do guard bitterness in our hearts. It is ourselves who pays the penalty for that. It's ourselves who pay the price. And I know this. And I'm not just talking you a load of waffle and theory. I know this because I've been there. I have been there. Some years ago, I had a really difficult situation with a colleague at work. And I can tell you, in all honesty, every morning, out walking the dog... I was harboring and festering hurts and feelings of injustice. Revenge, I was running revenge scenarios in my head over and over. And you know what? I could actually, as I walked, 
I could literally feel the bile rising up in my gut and it made me feel sick. The poison of bitterness. And it takes every thought captive. I could not think clearly at that time. And then the relief when we can and we finally do pass it over. Give it to God and leave it with Him. Really, really leave it with Him. And you know, at the end of that time, so much wasted effort. So much wasted emotional energy that could have been used for good. Yeah, life really is too short for bitterness and anger and resentment and grudges and guarding unforgiveness in our hearts. With the Lord's help, I was able to forgive. Did my colleague's behavior change? Not that I noticed, really. No. He never apologized. He didn't seem to change. He never showed any remorse that I could see. But by God's grace and enabling, I was able to change. I was able to forgive. And where was the change? It was in here. It was in my heart. And who benefited? He was blissfully unaware. I benefited. I was freed from the prison of bitterness. It wasn't easy. And 70 times 7 is a lot of times, and it's a lot of things to forgive. <coughs> and as well, very conscious that the process of letting go was a process. Learning to leave it with God and really leave it with God and, you know, not take it back, but to really leave it with Him. We need help to do that. And then, you know, there's that wonderful thing, that wonderful truth, that when we can and when we do forgive, <coughs> we're in so much better a place then to be able to rebuild that relationship. Or even just to establish a, a, a newer relationship. The elephant's removed from the room. The underlying tensions and reserva reservations in every conversation, it's resolved. Even if only from our side, it's resolved. And then we have the basis to move on positively. God is totally wise. He hates the destruction and the bondage that the sin of unforgiveness brings to us. He so readily accept, he so readily offers the healing and the restoration of forgiveness himself. And he so wants us to be godly and like him and to follow his wisdom and forgive others as well and to know the release and the freedom that that brings. Yeah, I know it's hard to forgive. I know it's really, really hard sometimes to forgive. Especially when we don't see remorse. It's, it's actually, it is unnatural to do so. And so that means that we can only do it with God's help. Submitting to his instruction and empowered by his spirit living within us. I was talking with someone about this just recently who, yeah, being honest, has quite a lot to forgive of somebody else. And we reflected on two things. Firstly, that sometimes in the wisdom of this world and in the, in the opinion of the society around us, we have this twisted idea that to forgive somebody, especially if they don't come 
and ask for that forgiveness, that it's really a sign of weakness and it's actually just giving in. No, absolutely not. It takes a massive amount of faith and courage to be able to do that. To submit our hearts to God, to accept that yes, your wisdom is right and when you tell me to forgive, it must be the best thing. It takes real strength. It takes real faith. And so we really, really need to encourage each other. We really need to help each other. We might want to make it a habit. We want to make it a place where it's easy to be around us to be able to know forgiveness and to forgive. It's a monumental task and we need to walk with each other through it. Listening, loving, praying, reminding and speaking the truth, the truth that sets us free. And then the second thing that we were talking about as we talked about forgiveness was the profound witness to God's grace and his glory when we do actually forgive. You know, we see stuff on the TV like somebody, you know, a mother and father who freely forgive somebody who has murdered their child. And we're astonished. The same way as we're astonished when we read the parable of what the king would do. That is a tremendous witness to God and his glory. When he helps us to do that. But maybe sometimes the hard one is the little thing that's festered for years. Festered for years. Just a word. But we've guarded with bitterness in our hearts. Is it hard to forgive? Oh yes it is really hard to forgive. But you know I don't think we can say it's hard for God to forgive. I don't think we can say that at all. Because we read this morning how he is ready to forgive. And he forgives so frequently and so fully. No, it wasn't. It's not hard for God to forgive. But by did it cost him to forgive? To be able to forgive us, it is a costly process. When God forgives us, it's not because he is merciful primarily or that he's compassionate or any of these things that we say. Primarily, God will forgive us because... It, it, it is founded in his mercy. Ah, sorry, it is founded in his justice. When God forgives us, it is because Christ has paid the penalty for that sin and has paid it completely and fully when he died upon the cross. And so, as God gave his son, gave his son to the smiters and to the cursors and to those who would take him and crucify him, it cost him Everything. But it means, it means that there is forgiveness available. Always founded on justice. And that means that we can be forgiven anything at all. Anything and we can be forgiven seven times seven times seventy times seven hundred times seven. Because Christ has paid it all. More than we could ever repay in a thousand lifetimes. And he will always forgive. We read this this morning. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sin. A verse that's been in my mind quite a lot recently. And it's, it's actually been in my mind a lot through some really really encouraging encounters that I've had with believers and, and all sorts of different and varied circumstances. It's been a common theme. 
And it's a verse that is in Luke 7, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And when I've been meditating, this is good things to be doing when I'm walking the dog. When I'm walking the dog and not harboring bitterness, I've been thinking about that. And the way it comes out in my head is, she loved much because she had been forgiven much. Or, he loves much because he has been forgiven much. And as the parable reminded us, we have been forgiven so much. So very, very much. And as we have been forgiven so much, this must draw a response of love. It must do. It has to, if we appreciate on any level what we've been forgiven. Just one characteristic of love. That beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that speaks of love in the context of service. One characteristic of love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Ah, we're good at remembering hurts and wrongs, aren't we? We're very good at storing them away in our memories, but we have been forgiven enough that we owe a massive debt of love. A massive, the parable tells us it's incalculable debt we have been forgiven, and so we owe such love as a response. This can enlarge our hearts. When we realize that, that can enlarge our hearts and that can give us the power and the strength to be able to forgive. To forgive from our heart. It's the wisdom of God. And submitting it, to submit, when we can submit to the wisdom of God, when he tells us to forgive as we have been forgiven, it's an act of love and obedience and it brings massive rewards for us. I want to finish this evening with just a couple of little detours, if you like. They're detours, but they're, they're very related to what we're talking about in this whole idea of forgiveness and wrestling with grudges and harboring and remembering. One of, one of the great tragedies, I see it particularly in younger people today, but I'm sure that we all suffer at some degree, seems to be what wrongly is called forgiving ourselves. Because that's not what it is. But we wrongly call it forgiving ourselves. What actually we are talking about is that some of us sometimes, and I think particularly in today's world, in today's age, we're struggling to accept, not to forgive ourselves, but we are struggling to accept the greatness and the fullness and the extent of God's forgiveness of us. Please, please do not fall into that trap. We listen to the lies, as I said this morning, of the accuser who tells us, and he tells us things, and he speaks things like, your sin is too bad to ever be forgiven. How do you think while you're living that way you could ever come to a holy God? Your sin's too great, you're worthless. You can never come back to God. You've cast it all away. There is no way back. Feeling dis distanced and, and consumed with guilt. 
devil's lies. Absolute devil's lies. Do not believe that. Believe what he tells us in his word. Let us walk beside anybody who is struggling with that and let us remind them that God forgives them and will forgive them and can forgive anything. If Christ could could forgive on the cross those who were putting him to death and injustice, we can forgive anything and we can be forgiven anything. You know, Paul, he calls himself the worst sinner. And he had reason, persecuting the church, putting Christians to death for their faith. David was a murderer and an adulterer and a thief and a liar, just for starters. But both of these men, when we read their writings, they speak of their forgiveness being absolute and complete. David actually speaks in uh, 2 Samuel 22 of his blamelessness. On one level, you're astonished. How can you speak like that? We know your sin, David. But no, he knows that he has taken it to God. He has confessed it. And it has been forgiven. And things that I trust none of us would even imagine to do, let alone do. So there's nothing that we can't be forgiven. There is absolutely nothing that we cannot be forgiven. Let's gently remind one another of the, of the truth. When we know, when we really know that we've been completely pardoned, we have to let our sin go. We have to hand it over. And we have to do the same with other people who sin against us. We have to let it go. And we have to hand it over. And we have to forgive as we have been forgiven. And to know the relief, to know the healing power, to be set free from the burden of the guilt of our sin, and to know the relief and the wonder and the refreshment of being able to let go of the bitterness that somebody else's sin is causing in our hearts. To put sin completely, eternally, from our minds to never be brought back. That is a thing that only God can do. He can and he does. So we rejoice in that. And we can't do that. I know we can't. But by his grace and in his strength, we can encourage each other. And we can, little by little, surrender it over to God. We can, little by little, with encouragement and prayer and help from one another, hand it over and accept the truth and wisdom. And we can know the release and the peace and the freedom and the refreshment that that too brings. And then to finish, again, a slight detour, but around this, this subject. I've listened to a lot of people. Um, I don't know, I think particularly at work, I've lost, uh, listened to a lot of people. And they hold a grudge against God. They hold a grudge against God for what they perceive are injustices or losses that, or, or, or things that we feel he could have prevented and hasn't. Or emptinesses that we feel that he could have filled and he hasn't. Or hardships that, that we think that he should have taken away and he hasn't. And then we turn that round, or they turn that round and blame God for that loss or that pain or that hardship. And they hold a grudge. And they angrily distance themselves from God 
And the bitterness, that same bitterness starts to rise up. And against, instead of being against another person, it's against God, which is even more tragic. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. Oh, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that he would pay the debt, that we could be freed, that we could be set free, we could be forgiven, and we would be able to forgive. To pay our debt, to set us free from sin's destructiveness, however we experience it. But it takes real faith to choose to surrender our hearts and wills and our lives and hand those hurts because they can be so real. Hand those hurts to Him. This too is a process. It can be a long process. Accepting, surrendering, letting go. Proving time and time, step by step, that He really does care. And He really does know and He really does love. And he does know what is best for us. God loves us and cares. He truly does. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way, I know. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, it's quite frankly, it's impossible to even imagine how some things could ever work for good. Some situations of loss or grief or pain or struggle. But in those times, drawing, away, drawing ourselves away from God only multiplies the pain. It only makes it worse. It only distances us from the true source of refreshment and freedom and healing and help. And what do we do? We don't draw away from Him. We turn to Him. And the Psalms are full of examples. We just, in raw honesty, tell Him exactly the way it is. He can take it. And he wants to take it. Because as he does take it, it heals our hearts. Then in the same way as the act of forgiving someone, submitting our hearts to God. Sorry, in the same way as when we, when we turn to God for forgiveness. And we just feel it washed away. When we're able in his power to submit to his word, give our hearts to his heart and forgive people. For those things they've done against us and we feel the refreshment as it washes the bitterness away. And so if we think that in some way God has, 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 has wronged us, we need to come and know that, that, that feeling of, of refreshment as we let it go. And we tell them about it with brutal honesty. Because we must. We must. Choosing to accept that God really does love us and really does work for good, however hard, however horrendous the circumstance, brings healing to our hearts. We know forgiveness and we forgive. Life really is too short. Life really is too precious to be blighted by bitterness or by grudges of any kind. We who have been forgiven so very much so very, very much. Let us respond with love and love much. And love keeps no record of wrongs. So whether we need to forgive or whether we need to accept the vastness of God's forgiveness in our hearts, the message from our verse today, forgive, uh, sorry, from the parable, forgive from your heart, even as you have been forgiven the message from our verse for today is the Lord has forgiven you. 
so you also must forgive. May it be so for his name's sake. We'll just pray before we sing and close. Father, you know, you know our hearts, you know us so well, you know us better than we know ourselves, and you know, you know how easy it is for us to keep records of wrongs. You know how hard it is for us to, to really believe that forgiving is going to be healing, but it is. So Lord, help us to do it. Help us to encourage one another to do it. Give us the faith to believe that when you say these things, you as the creator of us, as the Lord of the universe, you know what you are talking about so wonderfully. And Lord, if and when we have hurts and when we have things that we are struggling with, Lord, just help us to tell you it, to be honest and open. You know it anyway, so Lord, just help us to be honest with you. And then as we do tell you, to know the blessing of your nearness, the wonder of your forgiveness, and the grace and kindness and compassion that we've read of today. So Lord, help us. We need your help. And Lord, again, we just pray that you would help the witness of this place in this community. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing again to close the hymn in Christ alone.